1: I'm Amy Devers, host of Clever. This is OPP.
0: God bless everybody, and welcome to another episode of OPP. Other People's Podcast is America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Amy Devers, host of the amazing podcast, Clever. This podcast is about design. Well, actually, it's about designers too. Sure, they're visionaries, problem solvers, critical thinkers, and rebels. But above all, Amy highlights that they're all human. And this episode, Amy chats with me about her design work. We get our podcasters picks. And of course, we get into our dope show, Clever. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you to Amy Devers. All right, Amy, what's popping? How's everything,
1: man? I am. Other than the pandemic, I'm great. But the pandemic is putting cramping my style.
0: <laughs> Yo, it's cramping my whole style. But you know what, though? In some ways, I'm kind of like. Okay, obviously I want it to be over, but I've really enjoyed, like, the work that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's allowed me just so much time to do the things work-wise that make me happy that I'm a little, like, oh, sad. Have you been, like, really, like, you know, face deep in, in work that you've been enjoying?
1: Yes, I've been a total workaholic. I've basically been doing two full-time jobs since the pandemic hit. Um, Clever is one. And then, as I just mentioned, I'm a full-time professor teaching furniture design at Rhode Island School of Design, which is new. So in a way, this has been great for leaning into work that I find very meaningful. And I'm very fortunate that I have all this work to do. And I've also been doing the inner work, you know, but the and I'm, I'm in a good space, like I have a job and my family's healthy, so I'm not trying to complain, but I'm in a bubble of one, so I'm fucking lonely, <laughs> like hardcore lonely. And I've been teaching in person, so I get some interaction with the students, which is great, but other than that, it's just me in my new apartment in my new city where I don't know anybody and I can't make friends. And
0: Right, that, that's the key not be able to make friends you can't make friends shame on you <laughs> for hanging out with new people
1: right right i can't go anywhere and it's been winter so that part's been hard but um it's springtime now and vaccinations are coming and i'm gonna get out there
0: there we go yeah that's what's up now we just completely switched places me being on the east coast now i'm on the west coast yep and now you were on the west coast and now you're in the east yes coast.
1: Yes. So I can well, report I'm, back to you about how things are how I'm holding it down over here.
0: <laughs> there we go. Hold it hold it down for me. Hold it down. <laughs> okay. So so now first I'm a big fan of your show Clever and one thing that I love about your show is that you not just dive into who they are as creatives but you really profile them as people. Like cuz a lot of times your work is not just about the physical thing that you make like your soul goes into it your life experience goes into it and so i kind of want to like profile you i know that i read up that you're from michigan
1: okay so i grew up in ypsilanti michigan um and it was a great little town to grow up in and i say little it's not really little it's a small city um and it was a kind of a beautiful cross section of um white collar and blue collar because the ford auto plants were there and then progressive um you know, progressives because there were two universities there. There was University of Michigan and Eastern Michigan Universities. So there were a lot of faculty and students. And it's frequently got the nickname Little D um, because it had a lot of Detroit flavor. And um, I, I loved growing up there. I got like a pretty solid like public school education. Our, our school was very integrated, like pretty sure it was over 50% minority. And I think most of that was black. So I felt like I got like, um, a nice mix of like immigrants and blacks and whites and rich people, but not that many rich people. I didn't really live in a rich neighborhood. And, uh, I got like, I did not feel sheltered when I left Ypsilanti, if that's a, if that's an indication, but I still had a thirst to, to go and see the world. And that's, kind of the one thing that our parents afforded us like we didn't have fancy cars but every three years we took a vacation somewhere pretty interesting like Europe or Greece or or Mexico and so by the time I was um you know ready to go to college I wanted to go to the big city so I went to New York City from from Ypsilanti.
0: Yeah and so where did your uh your first kind of lane of creativity start you know was it always in kind of the art space
1: it was in haircuts (laughs) fashion and punk rock (laughs) and print that's what's up yeah it was like i oh my god i did design so many of my own haircuts and do not do not try and dig those pictures up (laughs) um much to my mom's dismay who would have preferred that i was like preppy or something
0: yeah because i find that like the spirit that I had, like, that made me fall in love with art and design for myself personally, I just channeled that into, like, what I like to do now, right? Like, now I'm just, like, a punk-ass rebel who's a podcaster. (laughs) Do do, do you find that for yourself now?
1: Totally. I mean, I I feel like creativity is the underlying, like, force for everything that I do, but how it manifests could be anything. Explain that. I didn't even know you could study furniture design in school until um, until I decided. So here's, a, here's the thing. After FIT, I didn't know what I was going to study. But I got in a car with two friends and we drove and drove and drove for about a month until we ran out of money in California. And that was a wild and fun chapter just to go on an extended road trip like that. But then we were broke and living there were four, wait, one, two, three, yeah, four of us living in a one bedroom apartment. We were all broke. We were on top of each other. We did have it pretty figured out. Like I worked at a record store. My friend was a drug dealer. My other friend worked at a liquor store and <laughs> my other friend worked at a pizza shop. We had the base- basics covered, but what we didn't have was like space. And I kept like in a circular way, I kept just thinking, but what if this futon also had storage? Or like, what if this bed was a Murphy bed? And I kept like redesigning the space so that it would work for us and we weren't like on top of each other. And um, I took an art class at a community college and I asked the professor who was teaching the art class, because I was kind of thinking maybe I should explore this creativity thing, you know? And I asked the professor if he knew of any jewelry design programs, because I had taken jewelry design and I thought I might want to study that. And he said, Yes, there's one in San Diego State. And by the way, they also have a great furniture design program. And I heard the words furniture design. That was the first time I knew you could study that in school. And it was like a light bulb went off over my head. And I made a beeline to San Diego State and started studying furniture design. Uh,
0: I know that right now the fashion industry is going through a moment of reckoning as far as just like, you know, environmental um, issues and the role that it's playing on the environment. Is the furniture community having that same? Um, moment of reckoning too, like as far as being more sustainable.
1: Well, we've always kind of had that. So within the furniture industry and the fashion world's like this too, there are always, you you know, on one end, your makers who are like really connected to, um, working with only, um, sustainable, responsibly forested materials or materials that are gonna decompose in a way that are gonna regenerate or be healthy for the planet. And then there's, you know, your big box people. Um, and I can't really comment on what, like, Walmart and our IKEA are, are doing. But I can tell you that in general, everyone who's involved with making and manufacturing has a responsibility to think about what we're doing. Because we're in a, a, an era of time where humans are having the most impact on the planet. And we've got to adjust the way we impact the planet or else we're going to adjust ourselves right off the planet.
0: I know for a lot of folks who come into the design world, they speak through their art, right? Like that's kind of how they communicate. And so they're kind of more of a behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But you have been in front of the camera, you know, with your art. What was that adjustment like? And how did that happen for you that you were going to step into being a host a personality?
1: Oh, you mean, well, the TV stuff.
0: Yeah, TV or even podcasting, right? Like we can create and not have our voices even be heard, just have our have our work speak for ourselves
1: right right so I started um my my work in graduate school was very much this sort of on the fine art spectrum of furniture design there's this it was more like functional sculpture let's say and when I graduated I thought that I would build my art pieces my sculptures and maybe sell them through galleries and have an independent studio and I'd be an artist and I'd be happy with that um but I moved to LA and I became like kind of Frustrated with it was the height of the home improvement craze, and like Trading Spaces was the most popular show on TV. And I got really frustrated that they were showing people the wrong way to build stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna go get on one of those shows. <laughs> and um, I I was a finish carpenter. Like I to pay the bills while I was getting my studio up and running, I had a van full of tools, and I worked for a general contractor, and I ran around and did finish carpentry people's homes and um one of those clients forwarded me a casting notice for a tv show they were looking for an on-camera host and she needed to know um she needed to know her stuff like and when it came to building but acting experience she didn't need to have any acting experience and i was like well i can do that so i thought it was going to be an la story where i just you know, everybody in L.A. goes on an audition at some point, right? Right. <laughs> That's of what course. I thought. So I had rhinestone safety glasses and I went down and and uh, the casting director just started asking me questions about what I knew and I just started rattling it off. And and next thing I knew, like, I got cast in a DIY, DIY's flagship home improvement show.
0: Yeah. Because how is it, how being in front of the camera or in front of the microphone uh, helped you as far as like your career?
1: That's kind of an interesting question because the TV, the TV, I had 15 years in front of the camera doing various things from home improvement to my own furniture design show to um, high, you know, global international design and architecture. And it was all fascinating to me because it was all about storytelling. And each production was a different way to tell stories. And I, I was on a learning curve, figuring out how to produce shows, like figuring out what, how stories came together, how they resonated. Some of them were really frustrating because I didn't have, um, you know, enough creative input or creative reciprocation with the people who were making the show. And I really started to want to put my own stamp on things. But this was also, as I started designing my own TV shows and pitching them, and trying to get them off the ground. Ones that I had a creative um, ownership of it was also when the streaming streaming wasn't here yet, but everybody was really risk-averse, so it was a really weird time. And getting a TV show off the ground was a heavy lift. And um, I was kind of in a pigeonhole, like people were only seeing me as a female who knew how to build stuff, so they weren't seeing what I needed them to see. So I I actually cashed it in and I turned down a a role in order to start this podcast because I was like, I need to do something that's meaningful to me and not be just a a cog in somebody else's recipe right now.
0: Hell yeah. Yo, Amy, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to do your podcast. Clever. So, Amy, tell me, how did you first discover the medium of podcasting?
1: I was driving up to San Francisco from Los Angeles and back round trip for a long distance relationship for many years. And that drive was where I fell in love with podcasts. And I listened to I mean, it was kind of early in the podcasting. I mean, you know, 2013, 14. And um, I really fell in love with the idea of audio only Storytelling, because I would feel so connected to people after hearing their voices, um, hearing the inflection, the pacing, the them, particularly them telling their story in their own words, or in some cases like the really elaborate production of audio storytelling. But what was really magical to me about it too is that you weren't um, you weren't trapped by a video screen or a book. You could be doing something like driving or riding a bike or walking down the street or cleaning the house. And so it was this companion and um, I fell in love with it. And I at the same time was the same time that I was frustrated with trying to, you know, sell a TV show that embodied all of the creative energy that I was trying to get out into the world.
0: Uh, In your own words, like, can you give me the elevator elevator pitch for Clever?
1: Yes. It's a deep dive, candid interview with an individual who's shaping the world around us. the intention is to give a window into the humanity behind design
0: and i when i first started uh into my journey of podcasting i didn't realize how much i would learn myself from being the host uh, of a show what have you learned from your experience as being the host of clever
1: oh i've learned so much i learned so much from each individual but then i also in a sort of you know, armchair qualitative researcher kind of way, I see patterns that have emerged. Um, so many of our guests talk about not knowing that design was a profession when they were kids. Like, they just didn't know you could grow up and be a designer. They didn't know what it was. Um, you know, they know fireman, nurse, uh, chef. Uh, they stumbled across it in college, particularly industrial design. I mean, some, some of them kind of knew a little bit about architecture. So that's one thing that I've learned is that design has a real PR problem and we need to, in some way, uh, talk about it more in elementary school, talk about it more to our kids, uh, help them understand that like forks don't just get stamped out at the factory. Like somebody designed a fork.
0: <laughs> I have the honor of interviewing someone named Lucia Um, She is like... Um, Industrial designer, worked under George Nelson, worked on uh, for a long time. She did, and when I interviewed her, it was just really fascinating understanding, like, wow, like someone, I just had breakfast, but someone constructed the design of this, like, syrup bottle. Uh, what, what do you want uh, listeners of the show to walk away with? Is there, like, an underlying message that, that you want to convey um, in an episode of Clever?
1: I want them to walk away feeling connected to my guest. So if there's an underlying message, I don't really have an agenda. I think the natural process of um, just hear, hearing somebody's story makes you, helps you to connect to them. And by virtue of that, connect to the world in a more meaningful way. So my job as a host, I think, is to create an audio situation in which the guest is comfortable sharing with me being vulnerable with me, um, and really revealing themselves so that our listener can have that really, you know, juicy human connection vibe from, from the listening experience. just walked away from that interview feeling like a fuller human, like a, like a richer, fuller human. <laughs>
0: You know what? We're going to get into our, a part of a show called Our Podcasters Picks, Amy. So this is a part of our show where we get to uh, ask today's guest to give me their top three favorite podcasts that they enjoy that we should be listening to. So, Amy, take it away.
1: Well, um, I want to start with one that I just discovered. It's brand new. Um, so the verdict is still out, but episode one is really, really intriguing. It's called It's Nice to Hear You by Heather Lee. And it started during quarantine. And it's sort of a matchmaking audio experiment. But what I like about it is um, she amassed over 100 hours of voice memos and used them to pair people together and then asked them to have audio-only exchanges. So no photos, no Googling, no nothing. And it was a kind of antidote to the swipe culture. But, but she got really into like the mechanics of voice and what it is about um, our voices that help us feel connected to each other. So that, the sort of analytical science part of that, the human behavior part of it, I think is really interesting. And the way she's constructed it, like a sort of art experiment, a social experiment, um, I think there's a lot of potential there. So I want to I shout that one out. Um, Another one I just started listening to is also new, but it's charming. And I told you that like, in the pandemic, my main issue is loneliness because I'm in a bubble of one. So like the idea of love and long term relationships is really um, beautiful. And there's a new podcast with uh, Phil Donahue and Marlo Thomas. Do you know who these people are? Phil Donahue, like the old talk show host? Yeah, like Phil Donahue. Whoa,
0: like <laughs> be Phil Donahue?
1: <laughs> yes, be Phil Donahue. So it's like listening to your parents. It's called Double Date. Okay. And it's like listening to your, your parents or your grandparents at a cocktail party, only they're talking about relationships. So Phil Donahue and Marlo Thomas, she's an actress, they've been married for like 40 years. And they have these really like... Charming conversations with, like, Sting and, Tr- and Trudy Styler is one, and um, Viola Davis and Julius Tenen about their relationships, about what makes their their marriages work. But it's not like that chewy behavioral stuff, like Esther Perel. It's really more like cocktail party fodder. But it's 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 so. It's so charming that it just makes you want to fall in love. It's, it's really, really lovely. And oh,
0: I, I'm definitely going to check that one out. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And what I'm finding too is like, I really like old people. They've got so much wisdom to share.
0: Oh, man. Look, <laughs> they, old you know what it is too? When an old person calls you, they're never going to waste your time. Right. Because their time is valuable, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, they, they've lived long enough to understand that life is just, you know, it can go in any moment. So when they hit you up, when they call you for a project, when they want to talk to you, they just want to, they're using their time, very, very valuable. And they yes. appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> agreed, agreed. So this also has a little bit of that vibe. Like they get straight to the to the real business. It feels fully nutritional, but also very, very comfortable and, and friendly.
0: <laughs> oh, I can't wait to check this one out.
1: And then the third one is um, the apology line. It's a, it's a wondery sort of. In the true crime category, have you, okay. have you heard of this one? No, no. Oh my God! So, um, an artist—it's—it's it's New York art in the '80s, and an artist in the '80s started an answer answer phone system. He put flyers up around town and invited people to apologize for their sins on this answer phone, and it was different than like a poly, like a confession or apologizing to the police so it was a way to get things off your chest but the calls that started coming through it's just it's a fascinating use of like nostalgic audio from these audio tapes Um, there are certainly some characters that come through that are like posturing as serial killers and then some that are probably really really evil characters yeah. And the artist who started this whole um, project to begin with kind of gets wrapped up in the whole thing and twisted with one of these repeat callers who seems to be um, a legitimately evil doer and then becomes sort of obsessed with him and his own like shadowy nature. And it, it's fascinating and really well done. And it's also a really... Interesting look at like New York in the 80s, but through audio.
0: And what's this one called again?
1: The Apology Line.
0: The Apology Line. Okay, Mm -hmm. we're, I'm definitely going to check that one out too. (laughs) Yeah, I literally, I literally learned about new podcasts from doing the show.
1: I (laughs) bet. (laughs) That's
0: how I know what's going on. And so, yo, Amy, before we get out of here, Mm -hmm. why do you podcast?
1: Why do I podcast? Yep. Because I feel really, really powerfully about holding space and sharing stories.
0: Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Amy Devers. Be sure to check out her amazing podcast, Clever, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was produced by Justin Richards. Music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, check out my website, opp.news, for the latest in podcast news and releases. And while you're still listening, how about giving me a five-star rating and leaving me a comment in the Apple app? It'll truly mean a lot. Well, I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. God bless everybody. Till next time.
1: Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF
0: podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues